On this episode of the Hoosier Health Podcast, we get to sit down with David Miller. David's been in the diabetes space here in Indiana for over 14 years, helping Hoosiers transition in their diabetic lifestyle. Um, Currently, he's working in the inpatient setting at a local hospital where uh, we were actually surprised to find out a lot of patients are coming in and actually getting diagnosed with diabetes, which the ADA, American Diabetes Association, supports that fact, saying about 160,000 Hoosiers are unaware that they are diabetic. In addition to that, it says 1.7 million Hoosiers um, are pre-diabetic, meaning that they're uh, on their way towards uh, diabetes as a diagnosis. So very interesting conversation with David. Um, He highlights some new technologies in the treatment of the disease, as well as mental aspects um, patients and caregivers have to face when uh, they are getting diagnosed or dealing with diabetes. Also some free programs available for patients and caregivers here in the Indianapolis area. So real excited to uh, have everyone listen to David in our conversation and hope you're able to take something away from this. And um, thanks for listening to the Hoosier Health Podcast. So I have been, uh, we used to be called Certified Diabetes Educators, but we recently changed our names to Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Um, I've been one for over 20 years. I started out in a small rural hospital, uh, started an outpatient diabetes program there, got it accredited um, through national organizations to show that we meet national standards with our curriculum and our outcomes. Uh, Left there, kind of went out on my own, had some weight loss centers, and did diabetes in the weight loss centers, kind of an entrepreneurial side. Um, left there, went to Big Pharma. I did insulin pumps for Johnson & Johnson. Uh, and then I did some education with AstraZeneca for, for diabetes education there. Currently, I'm at uh, Health Community Health Network um, in Indianapolis uh, over inpatient and their outpatient diabetes care. That's good. You can draw from experience in multiple different ways. I, um, I guess the interesting thing to, to, to understand would be how somebody um, educates in the hospital setting around diabetes, because I'm sure that's a lot different than the outpatient side of things. Absolutely, it is. And it just kind of depends on where the patient is. You know, there it may be a new diagnosis. A lot of them don't know they have diabetes when they come in, come in for a totally different reason, and then surprise, we throw this diagnosis on you. So uh, we start from the scratch and work with them through their feelings and then how they're accepting the disease and then try to give them the survival skills that they're going to need to get out of the hospital so that they can go home safely. You know, uh, healthy eating, uh, medications if they're going home on medications, monitoring their blood sugars, and then some problem solving what to do if this happens or that happens. And, and hopefully, you know, they have a good understanding of those survival skills. And then we can get them referred to the outpatient program where they can get a, a, a broader idea of what it takes to, to manage the disease. It's interesting. I, I did a little bit of fact checking in the uh, American Diabetes Association uh, around Indiana, and we have roughly uh, 750,000 uh, diabetics here in our state. And the interesting number um, that popped up was 160,000 of those folks don't know they have it. Is that accurate from what you see? That's exactly right. Um, so they're running around out there with high blood sugars and doing damage to their eyes and their kidneys and, you know, starting those complications of uncontrolled diabetes. And they don't even know that they have diabetes. So that's the scary part. 
Yeah, well, the other side was 1.7 million Hoosiers are living with what's called pre-diabetes. What would be some triggers to uh, uh, let folks know that they might be pre-diabetic? So, you know, if if their employer has a wellness screening, I would encourage them to get screened there. Uh, Go online and take a risk assessment. Do you have a family history of, of diabetes? Does it run in your family? And then look at your risk factors with your weight and and those types of things. There's a test you can go online and take and see if you're at risk. And if you come out, you know, that you are at risk, then follow up with your provider to get some further testing to see. Now, I know the uh, the folks that you're seeing in the hospital, you know, you're doing your best to, to take care of them. The average length of stay can be anywhere from two to four days, you know, so you probably don't get a lot of time with them. You know, what happens when they are then returned to the outpatient setting? And uh, what, what do you have in place from your side to, to assist those folks, um, you know, as they're transitioning out into their normal lives? Yeah, that transition is, is difficult because, you know, life happens. You've got a lot of things going on. Maybe you had a surgery and then you, you found out that you had diabetes. So you're not only healing from the surgery and trying to, to, to work with all of those issues, but then you'll have the diabetes. So, you know, hopefully that doesn't get put on the back burner because we get that diabetes more manageable. Their wounds are going to heal from the surgery and those types of things. So um, we do have an outpatient program in place. Um, it's absolutely free. For anybody to go to, it's uh, two, two and a half hour days of all of the curriculum that you need in order to manage your diabetes. Um, The Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists about, uh, I don't know, several years ago come up with seven self-care behaviors that a person that has diabetes has to do to manage his diabetes. So, you know, you think of those things and it's seven, seven different areas that they have to be an expert on because they're the one that's really self-managing. They, they see their physician or their provider maybe four times a year for about 20 minutes. But other than that, they're on their own managing it themselves. So we want to work with them on those seven self-care behaviors so that they can actually manage their disease and, and have those blood sugars within their targets. Well, that's good. I'm glad you guys obviously are, are working on a way to bridge that gap um, of that, uh, that news they receive in the hospital and then, you know, what, what life looks like after that diagnosis. And it's huge, huge to have those resources and support, you know, as folks transition and, and hopefully make better decisions to manage, you know, their diabetes. So um, I, I got to ask you, coming from the hospital setting, given um, the current pandemic, how are things going in your world? You know, it's it's kind of crazy, as, as you can expect. Um, our COVID numbers are down, but we're seeing kind of the backlash of it, where people were quarantined and maybe couldn't get to the grocery store to get healthy foods, uh, maybe couldn't get their medications, or, you know, just kind of sit around home and ate and gained a little weight. So I'm seeing a lot more and more patients come in with their, their A1Cs out of control, their blood sugars out of control. Uh, so they're coming in and, and trying to get better manageable and those numbers back down to their targets so that they can, you know, go on with their life. But it's really funny how, you know, we're seeing that backlash now. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. And, you know, I'd say the other thing I've seen, which has been a little uncommon for our state is more people, I feel like are actually exercising in some places. They're they're getting outside, they're taking walks. You know, what, what type of an impact could a small decision like getting out and taking a 30 minute walk per day have on a person that has diabetes? 
it, it's huge. You know, it, it will decrease their blood sugars and help them with their insulin resistance. So that maybe they're using less insulin or less medicine, um, even just around the block a couple of times, you know, and I encourage my patients to start small. Don't sh- shoot off running a marathon, you know, take, take your time and walk around the block once and, and gradually work up or count your steps and see where you are for a week, average where you are for that week, and then increase that by 500 the next week or a thousand, whatever you can do. But, but just those small baby steps are, are going to be huge with, with the management of their diabetes. Yeah. And I guess to your point, you know, you have to do something and, and, you know, it doesn't have to be a marathon or going to a gym for an hour a day, but it's, it's just little decisions I'm sure that could make a huge impact for their overall well-being, um, as well as the, the psychological component of this disease. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about the psychological component of when you're going into that patient room and you have to break the news to them that they're um, going to be dealing with this the rest of their lives? Right. And, you know, I try to make sure I address that in the hospital setting because I think that's one thing that kind of gets put on the back burner and it's uncomfortable. You know, those are those are uncomfortable discussions to have with those patients. But I think it's very important if they're going to be successful in the, in managing their disease. So I will work with them. And, you know, typically they go through some denial, some anger um, until they finally accept the disease. And, and I will tell them, I want you to be mad. I want you to cry. I want you to punch the bed, whatever you do, you know, not the dog or your, or your significant other, but, but punch the bed, whatever, yeah. um, be mad, be mad about it. Um, but then I want them to work through that to where they get to accept it. The, the issue becomes when they stay in that anger stage, then they do some self-destructive behaviors, such as not checking your blood sugars or not taking your medications. And then they start getting the, the complications of diabetes. So yeah, it's very important then for them to work through that, and and you know if they if they ha- having if they're having difficulty, then seek a therapist for some professional help to help them work through those feelings. Absolutely. Well, I know that that the the, the problem of diabetes is um, not just rampant in Indiana, but all across the country. You know, with the uh, accessibility of fast food and and unhealthy decisions are all uh, around us, right? And then the possibility of making those. Um, but what would you say are some of the new emerging technologies that are coming out in the diabetic marketplace to help folks suffering from this disease? Yeah. So one of them I think that is, is is huge is the continuous glucose monitor. You know, people stop checking their blood sugars because their fingers hurt. It does hurt. And especially if I'm a type one who has to check it five and six times a day, it, it really starts to hurt. So we have the continuous glucose monitors now that you know, will tell you what your blood sugars are every five minutes. Um, so it, it, it's awesome. You, I don't have to stick my fingers. It'll tell me what my blood sugars are. And the really the cool thing about it, there's a couple of cool things. One is um, it, it gives you trends. So if I tell you your blood sugar is 110, you may think, great, that's really good. It's in my target. But if I'm 110 and going down quickly, that's not good. You, I can have a low blood sugar and, and end up on the floor or passed out or unconscious. So I can see that trend and hopefully I can intervene uh, before I get down that low and then not have those low blood sugars. And another thing I think to your point earlier about walking around the block, you know, we are a society of uh, instant gratification. We want to know right now. So that continuous glucose monitor is going to show you, hey, look, what I walked around the block and look where my sugar was. It's going to show you that immediately. Or, oh, I shouldn't have ate that extra piece of pizza. Look where my blood sugar is now. So that technology is going to really help change behaviors and, and with healthy eating and act- activity and everything. And even medications, you know, it's going to show you your medications are working. So that instant gratification, I think, is really important because it's going to help them to change those behaviors. 
Oh, I could imagine in the past it's a uh, kind of a, a shot in the dark, you know, on whether you're you're adding insulin based on what you're eating or, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of have a, a running, uh, my assumption is you're, you have a running kind of um, juggling act of trying to balance all this. Um, so we all know data doesn't lie. It, it tells a story. And so for them to be able to see, you know, how they're controlling their disease or not controlling their disease arms them with the ability to hopefully make adjustments. So um, that's amazing. How long has that technology been out? Um, it's been out for a while. It's just really now, it, you know, it kind of started out slowly with, with only with people with type 1 diabetes. Um, so now the Medicare, Medicaid's have accepted it. So it's, it's more affordable for everybody. Um, so, it, you know, I would encourage anybody to look into it, talk to your providers, um, even go online and do some research and you can fill out a form and I'll tell you exactly what out of pocket is going to be under no obligation. So um, it's really, you know, I think in a couple of years, people are going to say, man, you were really barbaric making people stick their fingers. Yeah, well, I think, and and I when I had a previous life in pharmaceuticals, you know, we launched a uh, an inhaled insulin back in the day, and I know, you know, the uh, the challenge um, that that folks had, whether it was the stigma of being diabetic and having to inject themselves in a public setting, um, you know, having an option that was less evasive um, or maybe an additional delivery method of insulin was uh, novel at the time. Um, are you finding any other um, advancements on that side of things? Yeah, so that, that inhaled insulin has kind of reemerged with a different company now. And and actually the data, like you said earlier, the data doesn't lie. The data is really showing that their blood sugars after they eat are a lot better with that inhaled insulin than with the injections. So, um, you know, it, it's really interesting. It's only a fast-acting insulin, so there's no long-acting insulin. So they're still going to have to take a long-acting insulin injection. But, you know, with your meals or snacks or whatever, you can inhale that insulin. Obviously, there's some contraindications if you have lung disease or a smoker or anything like that. But I think that's going to be huge in the future. Well, as, as you know, patients are all different. We're all built differently. So certain things are going to work for certain people and they're not going to work for others. So, um, you know, variety is the spice of life, so to speak. Um, and having those options for patients. So, well, let me ask you this, David, what do you enjoy the most about what you do in helping people? What I really enjoy the most is when that patient gets it. You know, when you see the light bulb come on and they call you a couple weeks later and say, my gosh, my blood sugar is 120. I feel so good. That's, that's why I do my job. It, it just makes you feel so good about, because you know those people are having a better quality of life. They're going to have a longer life. And, and who knows wh what they're going to do? You know, they may end up finding the cure for diabetes. Who knows? Well, that's neat. Any, any specific patient stories over the years that stand out where you've had that satisfaction? I know in the hospital setting, you might not get that follow-up, um, but I'm sure there's been folks as you've worked in this space that uh, really stick out as, as the, the patients that you've really made an impact with. Absolutely. I had this gentleman, old, older gentleman that came in and, and he was overweight. He came in because he had a wound, I think. And again, just like we said before, he had no idea he had diabetes. So um, I actually started working with him and um, he was trying to figure out how he was going to do this. And he, his A1C was extremely high and went home on insulin, both kinds, obviously fast acting and long acting insulin and, and counting his carbs and all of that. Well, 
I tried to give him the apps to use on his phone to help, you know, support him and, and get him through this. Well, come to find out what I didn't know was he was an engineer. So he created his own spreadsheet. So every week he would send me a, a spreadsheet with, it, with his carbs, with his insulin, with his weight, everything with him. And in a year's time, he lost over 100 pounds. He was off completely all medications and was amazing. He's he's that one unicorn that all us educators are looking for out there, you know. But it just it, he's, I, he still will shoot me an email every once in a while. In fact, he's actually on our advisory board for our outpatient program to help give us the, the patient's perspective and what we need to be doing to meet the patient needs out there. So he's really given back to us from, from, from us helping him. So it's really come full circle with him. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's probably what helps you, but, you know, battle through the uh, challenging days in, in your job when you're dealing with patients, you know, punching the bed or, you know, not receptive or compliant, right? You know, it's it's remembering the, the times you do make such a, a huge impact in people's lives. And um, for that, obviously, uh, we're very grateful for what you're doing. Um, you had mentioned some apps that are good resources um, for any of the listeners that uh, maybe you're diabetic or have loved ones that are diabetic. Um, any, any uh, you know, hot tips on some good apps that are, that are useful? Yeah, there's some good ones out there to log your blood sugars if that's what you want to do. Um, I'm a huge fan of Calorie King. I, that, that's a no plug. I get no money back or anything. I have no, no investment in them or anything, but I use Calorie King all the time. It's really cool because you can scan the barcode. You can uh, it has restaurants. So if I'm going out to eat, you know, I can look at the real quick there and see how much, how many carbs are in this meal or, or what, or it has foods, all kinds of different things. It's, it's loaded with information. Uh, my fitness pal is a good one. I kind of worry about it sometimes just because some people think I have to be an athlete to use my fitness pal, you know, and here I am struggling to lose weight and to do all that, but it's a good, it's a good app as well. So I just, you know, make sure they are, current make sure they're they're professionals and not just something out there but you know if you have questions call your diabetes care and education specialist and i'll help you work through it no that's great david um well i guess the uh the other question i had for you was um you know if if you were um i guess sitting there across from a patient and you know they are just struggling with accepting this um, diagnosis and you know it's not a newly diagnosed patient but they're they're just a non-compliant patient that is almost they're almost at their wits end you know what what does that conversation sound like you know to help you know from your perspective get them over the hump okay so I, I want to back up just a little bit when I hear that not word not quote-unquote non-compliant it goes through me because you know I have providers that will say I have this non-compliant patient I want you to see or do this or that and for me that just means we have failed them as a profession because we've not found what motivates them to make those changes so to call them non-compliant I think is unfair to them when when we have failed them so you know I will work with them to see what what motivates them, you know, and sometimes when, when you see a patient, it may be a simple, something simple as why did you come today? You know, that's a huge step that they showed up for their appointment because some people don't. So just them coming to the appointment today is a huge step. So there's some motivation there that they want to, to change because they came to the appointment. So it's just digging in deeper and asking the right questions to, to find that motivation to help them change. 
No, that's great. And and I, I hear or have heard that term thrown out in my previous pharmaceutical days of the non-compliant patient, whether it's with medicine or other directives from the healthcare provider. And, and to hear your take on it um, obviously uh, lends itself to the type of provider you are, you know, in looking at the person as a person, you know, and, and that's, that's obviously a testament to the type of uh, approach you have in your job. Um, I guess the, the other question I have is, is the 1.7 million Hoosiers who are living with prediabetes, you know, what, what would be your advice for the folks um, out there that, again, are living with prediabetes? I guess you should maybe help define what that is and then what steps they could take um, to, to, again, help curb, um, you know, or, um, you know, maybe mitigate this uh, disease from taking hold on their life. Sure. So prediabetes means that their fasting blood sugars or their A1Cs um, have, are not high enough levels to be diagnosed as diabetes. Um, what it means is they're higher than normal. So if they don't make some changes, they will move into type 2 diabetes. So if, if they have been diagnosed with prediabetes, you know, I would certainly encourage them not to ignore it, to start working with your educators now so that you can make some changes. Um, healthy eating, learn how to count carbs, learn uh, those types of things. And if, if you need to lose a little weight, have work with the educator to lose some weight. Physical activity, those are, those are the two key cornerstones of, of successful self-management for anybody is healthy eating and physical activity. So start those behaviors at, at pre-diabetes and you can prevent or, or at least delay the onset of, of type 2 diabetes. Gotcha. And again, back to maybe what we discussed before, it's, it's little decisions. So, you know, maybe it's, hey, I'm going to have a salad at least once a day and I'm, I'm going to commit to that. And then, you know, I'll have a bigger dinner or I'll have, um, you know, a snack here or there, but I'm, I'm going to commit to at least one healthy meal a day and, and look at that uh, impact that that can make. And I'm sure that helps folks, you know, not try to tackle uh, a large, you know, 800 pound elephant with, uh, with you know, uh, one bite, you know, you got to do it with small little bites. Absolutely. And that's one thing that our outpatient program focuses on is goal setting. We will help them with their goal setting and what do they want to work on. And, you know, we talked about there's those seven self-care behaviors. We don't want you to work on all seven of those at the same time because that's going to be unsuccessful. You're not going, you're going to fail, right? Kind of like you said with the elephant. So we're going to pick one or two and then work on those and, and set your goals under those behaviors. And then as you become successful and you attain those and those become habits, then we're going to work on another behavior and, and, and continue until we get the whole picture. How important is accountability in that situation? Because I would assume, you know, it's hard when you're trying to do it all by yourself and, and care providers are only there, as you mentioned, in a primary care setting, maybe four times a year. Um, you know, how, how do folks find accountability um, or invite that into this journey? Yeah, so that's that's another conversation I have with them, especially if, if there's some patients that are struggling with uh, maybe it's a parent or a child or a husband and a wife, you know, I hear all the time, well, they're the food police. They, they just, every time they, they sit down, they say, should you really be eating that? You have diabetes or something like that. So I will work with them and say, you know what, here's what I would suggest. You guys type out a contract. Uh, it doesn't have to be any attorney contract or anything like this, but on this side is what the patient with diabetes is, is responsible for. And, and on this side is what the support person is, is for. This is what they can ask. This is what they can do. Um, and, and then 
uh, the bottom part is the consequences if, if one or the other doesn't follow those. So it just kind of sets those boundaries where, you know, they, they, they mean it in the, in the lovingest way. They're, they're, they're loving them and wants them to have a better quality of life. But to the person with diabetes, sometimes it comes off that they're nagging or on them all the time. And, and so it's just a matter of drawing lines and those roles and responsibilities and who's responsible for what. And, and then they end up, you know, having, having better self-management skills, but it does, you know, like I said, they are doing it by themselves. It is self-management. And, and sometimes that's scary in our, in, even in our big organization, you know, we talk self-management, self-management, and it was, it kind of opened my eyes when one of the staff members came to me and said, you know, I don't have diabetes, but if I heard you say self-management, it would scare me to death. And I never thought of it that way, you know, but, but that's the term that we use. And, and I never thought of it that way. So it, it is, it's so important that they are able to do that. And I think, you know, our tide as, as educators are kind of turning because we used to keep everything with us because if we taught you everything we knew, then we wouldn't have a job, right? Yeah, so right. we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't teach you how to problem solve or do anything like that because you need to call me so I can help you. And that's job security for me. Well, we see how well that works when you look at the numbers that you quoted at the beginning of, of this session. Sure. So, you know, our, 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 ultimate, our ultimate goal is to get them to that problem solving so they can solve those problems on their own. Obviously, we're here for, to help, but they're, the, they're in the center and we want them to be able to support. Well, that's great, David. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the Hoosier Health podcast. I think this is an important topic for folks living here in Indiana. And, and as I mentioned, you know, I know my mom uh, was a diabetic and, um, you know, most people probably listening to this podcast um, know somebody or maybe are dealing with diabetes themselves. And so I, I think it's great information. I'm very thankful for what you're doing to help folks there in the hospital and, and you know, creating programs to further educate them as they leave your care there in the hospital. Um, it really means a lot. And I know um, you're doing a good job. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I appreciate you having me on here. It's been, it's been a blast. And one last plug, you know, a lot of people think that once I see an educator, I don't ever have to go back. So it's not a love me and leave me thing. You find an educator that you like and, and actually you need to see them on an annual basis or when there's any change of, of therapies, such as maybe I'm going on insulin or an injectable, or even a transition of care. Maybe I'm going to an assisted living or something. So it's not a one and done thing. You find an educator that you love and, and you're going to stick with them. So, so continue to go back every year, because like you said, things change, technology changes, all of that very quickly in, in, in these times. So find that educator and stick with them. Well, that concludes another episode of the Hoosier Health Podcast. Uh, David Miller did an unbelievable job explaining diabetes, some of the new technologies out there for diabetic patients. He covered the mental aspects of the disease, both for the patient and caregiver, as well as uh, gave us some free programs that are available for patients uh, to take advantage of here in the Indianapolis area. So um, one thing David mentioned also was not to love them and leave them meaning our diabetes care and education specialists should be on your speed dial and visited multiple times a year so you can have the best knowledge available to treat your disease. So that concludes our episode for this week on the Hoosier Health Podcast. We want to thank everybody for listening and remind you health is wealth.